listener. Car Sales acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. showroom your audio automotive exhibit for everything new in the marketplace powered by car sales and parked up for free at listener or wherever you get your pods welcome everybody joined for this episode by senior editor fiantor the artist formerly or is it currently i can't remember known as fizzy t welcome back my friend Good to be here. I'm uh, I'm working on a collab with Post Malone at the moment, so watch out for that one. <laughs> That's a scary thought. I would have thought. Where have you been? I understand you've been to Europe. Where exactly? Yes, when it was baking hot here, I was in the frozen north of Sweden, which was about negative thirty degrees, driving some Volvos on the ice. Would you believe on a frozen lake? checking out all the the latest models that they've got to show us and uh, looking at a few secret things we're not allowed to talk about, unfortunately, but uh, very interesting nonetheless. Okay. Are you sort of uh, a Swedish convert? How are you from a culture point of view? What words did you learn? Not many. I learned skull, <laughs> which I think means cheers. Uh-huh. But no, look, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, when we were in the Arctic Circle, it's surprising how many people live there and live there all year round and the way they do it and how they do it is fascinating. And I kind of thought, maybe I could do this. Maybe I'll just ship the family over and uh, live in Sweden where you can have uh, three hours of daylight in the middle of winter. No surfing there though, mate. That's the, you would struggle with that, wouldn't you? This is the problem, yeah. There's, no, there's not many ways and if there are, they're probably uh, slightly frozen. Worst jobs in life to be sliding around on the ice and snow in Volvos. How did that go? Yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. They were electric cars, would you believe? Ooh. We had the uh, the new C40 twin motor testing out the full drive systems. And um, these things have a lot of power, though. They've got mm-hmm. more than 600 newton metres of torque. So, yeah, it was interesting doing that. And um, probably sounds boring, but the most interesting thing was talking to the head of safety and also the CEO of Volvo to find out where they're going, what they're doing. And we also chatted to their uh, their sustainability chief, and I'm not sure if you knew this, but by 2026, every Volvo sold in Australia will be... Electric. Electric, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we're going to he- be hearing a lot more about that in the next few years, no doubt about it. This has been a subject of discussion, if you like, on the other podcast I work on with Nadine Armstrong called What's Under the Bonnet. So shameless little plug for that. I think the key thing here around the whole secrecy of what you were doing in those uh, those northern parts is that you have not told the boss that you are going to make an appearance in the World Rally Championship and you have the perfect name for that. Fiantor, WRC driver, surely, surely. This is the thing. A lot of people uh, over there, they see my name and they go, oh, you must be uh, you must be a local. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just the name. I'm an Aussie. But, uh, you know, I have had a couple of goes at a bit of uh, rally-esque driving and, to be frank, I'm very, very average. 
We, we can create all sorts of spin-off marketing, though. I'm, I'm picturing kind of like uh, like Viking colour schemes and all sorts of stuff. Yes. Fiat or Rally Driver coming to a WRC event near you. Now, coming up in this show, uh, all sorts of cool things for you, including GR Corolla. Lots of people have been talking about that. It's been launched. We're going to sink our teeth into it, learn a bit more about it. Unpopular opinions. What is in this month's edition? We're going to tackle licensing and speed limits. Stand by for that hot topic. Well, this is in my other wheelhouse, the Australian Grand Prix. Formula One just around the corner. Got a bit of a motor show flavour, that event in some respects too. Racing and entertainment as well. The CEO, Andrew Westacott, is coming in to chat about it before he heads off to some uh, some new challenges. He's done a ripper job in that role. Some news out of Europe in relation to a ban on diesel cars, and it's coming up faster than you think. The new Mitsubishi Triton Extreme Ute has been confirmed. A little Aussie drop top like you wouldn't believe in our classified section. And Fian, something cool. You guys at car sales regularly have different awards during the year. Today, we're going to talk about 2023 Best Used Car Awards. Yeah, this is uh, this is our first Best Awards for the year, and it's probably quite relevant right now because as you know it's very very hard to get a car in a timely fashion if you want a brand new RAV4 you might have to wait 18 months used cars very different story we've got 10 categories here we're looking at we're digging into which ones are the best value for money the safest and in some ways the most entertaining to drive so this is going to be really interesting We like to kick off most eps of the showroom with a major launch, and this one has been highly anticipated given some of the other GR or Gazoo Racing product in the Toyota offering. There's Yaris, for example, 86, Supra. Now, a 221-kilowatt pocket rocket. Fian, this thing is cool. This is super cool. And, you know, the Toyota Corolla, it has never really been... An exciting car. A lot of people associate Toyota with boring pipe and slippers, cardigan wearing owners, but this GR Corolla is, uh, it's pretty epic. I won't lie. And it's got this incredible new turbocharged engine that's been developed by the Kazoo racing team. And, uh, I'm getting a little uh, little hot and bothered over here. Calm down now. Calm down. Someone who knows it intimately is Sam Dabastani, who is the Senior Product PR Specialist at Toyota Australia, and he's going to help us dig into this tantalising product. Sam, welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get straight into it. First things first, how much does it cost and how many are we going to see in Australia? So we're now completing the Corolla family, which of course started with the hatchback, following on with the sedan. Um, and at the end of last year, of course, we had the Corolla Cross. Now, finally, as you said, Fian, an out-and-out performance car joins the stable, and we're incredibly excited about it. The car we're launching with is the GR Corolla GTS, uh, so that will be $62,300 recommended retail price. 700 units will be available uh, for the first 12 months. Sam, the the energy around this has been crazy. Am I right in saying that the first year's allocation for our part of the world has already sold out? So based on expressions of interest alone, we've had 5,000 and counting. Wow. Uh, So yeah, the demand for the GR Corolla has been incredibly strong. Our focus is on ensuring that these very special cars uh, are finding their way into the hands of enthusiasts and loyal customers, people who truly 
want to uh, enjoy GR Corolla ownership? I've spent the summer with um, the New Zealand Gazoo Racing Operation over there as part of what they call the Formula Regional Oceania Championship. So they they give young racers from all over the world the the chance to compete in in open wheel cars, and it helps to unearth some future stars that might ultimately end up in Formula One or IndyCar. But around that, Toyota's done some really cool things, as you probably know, Sam, around showcasing the GR product at every race meeting, every event that we went to. It's probably worth for our audience, if you don't mind, just spending a moment on, you know, the thinking behind this sub-brand, please. I guess going back to basics, GR stands for Gazoo Racing. And they are our motorsports arm, if you like. And I think the key point is that we take the learnings from our various racing programs, um, our rally series, our GR86 racing, and so on. And we apply those learnings to our road-going cars. There are currently four models in the GR range, GR Supra, GR Yaris, GR86, and of course now GR Corolla. All of these cars have been developed off the back of the learnings that we've uh, received from our Gazoo Racing Series events around the world. Tell me about this 1.6-litre engine that was uh, originally in the Yaris, the GR Yaris, and now it's in the GR Corolla with a little bit more power. It was designed and developed by Gazoo Racing, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct, yeah. So actually, the chief engineer for GR Corolla, Naoyuki Sakamoto is his name, uh, he actually previously worked on developing the 1.6 turbo powertrain, which, as you said, uh, debuted in the GR Yaris. But for GR Corolla, it gets a 21 kilowatt power bump. So that takes the total power output now to 221 kilowatts. And anyone who is a motorsports fan, anyone who loves to drive cars, they'll know that lightweight is the key to the handling expected of a sports car, performance car. So in short, uh, low weight, key aspect of performance, the smaller the engine, the lower the weight. and, And that's what this powertrain is all about. Another thing I have to say, I've driven the car a few times myself, I feel very uh, fortunate to say. In terms of engine sound, it has this really stirring kind of throaty rumble, um, and it's achieved without any augmented uh, engine noise. Even at idle, you can just really fully enjoy that fantastic sound. And part of the reason for that is the valve for the center pipe is actually open. You'll notice there's three exhaust pipes on GR Corolla. Yeah, yeah. And that closes at 30 kilometers an hour, then reopens at 4,500 RPM. Um, So what that helps to do is reduce the back pressure for even more powerful acceleration. But what it also leads to is really, really fantastic and completely natural engine sound. It's impressive that there's no uh, synthesized, augmented uh, acoustics going on there, which a lot of of modern performance cars do employ to to try and beef up the, uh, the audio. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Can I focus? I don't want to get too obsessed with um, the the number, Sam. I mean, it, it pumps out more power than the the smaller rally-bred um, GR Yaris that you talked about before. Is this kind of just um, ECU tune or is there more hardware? Do give us a little sense of that. Yeah, so the increased power uh, is actually thanks to increased turbo boost and the new triple outlet exhaust system that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that, as I said, it reduces back pressure for even more powerful acceleration. The pistons and the valves in the car are also reinforced, and there's a larger fuel pump and oil cooler also in the car. So not just ECU, there's actual uh, structural changes to the car over GI Yaris. What about some of the chassis and, and body upgrades and, and the mechanicals going on underneath? What What's different to a, a regular Corolla, if you like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you said it yourself. Uh, GR Corolla is a no-holds-barred performance car, first and foremost. So 
for maximum road holding performance, uh, GR Corolla, first of all, sits on wider tracks. Our GR4 all-wheel drive system, which was developed with the GR World Rally team, has been optimized. The rear floor has been modified to make room for the rear differential. So as I said before, the focus on this car is really on light weight and rigidity. And to that end, we've reinforced the body with 349 more welds. Um, There's an additional 2.7 meters uh, of construction adhesive. There's extensive use of uh, high tensile strength steel. And we've added extra braces uh, under the car as well. Um, We've also increased the capacity of the engine cooler. um, And we've strengthened the area around the exhaust valve. I'll also add that the suspension, which is modified from GI Yaris, features dedicated tuning with unique springs and dampers. Really, with this car, I mean, there's heaps more I could tell you about. Um, If the chief engineer was here, I'm sure uh, (laughs) he'd he'd be... um, head in palms about how uh, how simplistic I'm being here. But uh, yeah, there's, there's so much engineering effort gone into this car. Sam, why don't we go there? Because, I mean, you mentioned uh, Sakamoto-san. I mean, he's Corolla's GR chief engineer. He's been recognized at a global level for his for his uh, his passion and, and position in the whole sort of automotive sphere, hasn't he? I mean, it's going to sound like I'm just saying this. I mean, I'm from Toyota. Uh, of course, I'm going to be saying positive things, but with entire sincerity, mm-hmm. um, meeting Sakamoto-san, I would say, is a highlight of my career in the automotive industry. I'm a car guy, first and foremost, um, so I deeply respect the resume of the man. Um, Sakamoto-san has been with Toyota for 24 years. Um, he's had extensive experience in transmission development. That's also included three years living and working in the United States. In 2016, he moved to sports car development um, and the GR brand and his projects there have included, as I said, development of the GR Yaris powertrain. Two years after that, he was appointed to his current role of chief engineer for GR Corolla. And yeah, in recognition of all of this, Sakamoto-san was one of four runners-up in the recent World Car Person of the Year awards. Extremely accomplished, knowledgeable, respected man. But for all that on his resume, I think what really stood out to me, it's it's really remarkable how just humble and friendly and open he is. There's no ego about his achievements. He is just a very passionate car guy who just loves his work. And, you know, he lets his work, his passion, his his car do the talking. And it's easy to see that passion kind of shine through in the way the car drives and feels when you're in it. So, yeah, I, I think after spending a week with Sakamoto-san in Sydney for the GR Corolla uh, media launch, I feel very proud that I can call him a friend. Now, there is another GR Corolla that's even more insane. This is called the Morizo edition, I believe. Morizo edition. Morizo. This is a two-seat version. Uh, tell us about this. Obviously, it's a lot more expensive. It's going to go close to 80 grand. It's a lot of money for a hot hatch, but w- what's different? Sell it to me. Okay. Um, well, I wish I could sell it to you. So first of all, there's, a, there's 25 units of the car. Um, and the RRP, as you said, it's uh, 77,800. So close to 80,000 drive away. The recipe really isn't too different. So take uh, all the greatness of the GR Corolla. So the G16E engine, the six-speed manual, the stiff body shell, and just amp up the excitement by adding a little more spice, if you like, to everything. Um, so it pushes the maximum torque out to 400 newton meters, thanks to really aggressive tuning by the Toyota Gazoo Racing Team. The engineers uh, are seeking a more kind of exciting climb to the red line, if you like, with those tweaks. Other tweaks uh, include revised gearing, 
unique suspension tuning with stiffer spring rates and uh, red monotube dampers. There's a retuned electric power steering system and there's two additional rear braces that's in addition to the braces that the GTS grade had. It's also 45 kilograms lighter than the five-seat GTS grade due to a number of weight reduction measures, one of which, I mean, I just kind of gave it away saying the five-seat GTS. This is also a (laughs) two-seater. So this is a really track-focused, enthusiast-honed racing car. Who's it pitched at? So really anyone who who wants the lightest, kind of tightest handling, most uh, performance-oriented Corolla ever built. So if you're planning to spend some time on the track, the Marizo Edition is the GR Corolla for you. We've been chatting with Sam Dabastani, Senior Product PR Specialist at Toyota Australia, who's come into the studio today to talk all things GR with us, but especially the new Corolla. Sam, thank you. And we are going to look forward to getting you back on for a future ep of the showroom. Nice talking to you, Fian, Rusty. All the best. Let's launch into this month's Unpopular Opinions, proudly brought to you by the Fiantor Don't Be PC Association and the Greg Rust Have a View Don't Be a Softest Marshmallow Confectionery Company. Uh, Fiantor, hit us with yours. Drivers over 70 should retest for their licence every 10 years. Ooh, I can hear elder members of our community firing emails your way right now, not being happy with this. Go. And look, I have the utmost respect for my elders. I've had that drilled into me by my parents who did a great job. But here's the crux of the problem as I see it. When I was in Sweden, I was talking to a bloke called Thomas Broberg. He's the head of safety at Volvo. And Mm -hmm. he basically said, as you age, your field of vision narrows, your reaction times slow down. So you're you're inherently not going to be quite as adept at the fast-paced dynamic act of driving a vehicle. So I think we've all been in situations where we've looked over at another driver and gone, what is that guy doing? And oh, lo and behold, they might be a little bit uh, mature of age. And look, I'll retest too. I'm not saying, you know, I'm the greatest driver ever, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting point and I think it needs to be raised. Can I just take this unpopular opinion and make it even slightly more controversial? I would argue that it, it doesn't need to just be restricted to 70 plus. You could put go. together a very good argument for even younger drivers than that. And here's my my rationale. Whenever you've gone and done something like you said at the top of the show where you're off driving cars on snow or you, yeah. um, you know, I've done them with, uh, with Audi, with Steve Pizzardi, for example, and things like that, you are constantly being educated on great new technology that these cars have. And not everybody is adept at dealing with that. And some of these, you know, that sort of probably lends itself more to driver training rather than just just retesting for a licence. But I think we need to be equipped better with that stuff, with that knowledge. And how's this for a crazy idea? What about we could have a point system like Uber? So everybody has a score and if you do dumb things and the car's recording it because everything records everything these days, um, you drop below four stars, you have to retest or do something like that. Um, And that would potentially apply to all drivers. Hey, I'm just spitballing here, but I don't know. Here's the Fiantor driver profile. He's got uh, five stars, good with conversation, knows cars. <laughs> okay, well, that's probably enough controversy for today. But, you uh, think? Oh, well, okay, over to you, Rusty. You've obviously got an unpopular opinion too. Let's hear it. Speed limits should be higher. 
Oh. <laughs> to, to be fair, this is going to light up. If we had a switchboard, it would light up the switchboard. We would be having our email bag filled. Improved licensing, like in a lot of European countries, we need better road quality. Uh, that's that's a must. The roads, you know, aren't in the wake of all the rain that Australia and even New Zealand has had in recent time, the roads aren't up to it. But if they were and if the licensing was better, why couldn't we have higher speed limits? Given the safety that is in some of these modern cars and so on would reduce um, times for, you know, longer trips sitting to Melbourne and so on, why couldn't we have a higher speed limit? I agree. I agree. I think it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to push to 130, say, on the Hume Highway, as you mentioned, Melbourne to Sydney. If the roads were kept at a certain level and there was licensing was a little bit more stringent going back to our previous unpopular opinion, there's no reason why this could not be done in a safe and effective manner. I think you're on the money there, Rusty. I think there's there's an idea, and, and I'm not sure if you've driven in uh, Germany, but on the Autobahn, when you're driving at above 150, 180 kilometres an hour, your senses are sharpened. They there's are. something clicks over and you're much more focused on the road. At 100 k's an hour, you can... You can be fiddling with the radio, playing with all the controls and the infotainment, and you kind of get a little bit lethargic. I agree about the the, um, the greater sense of awareness at that speed. It, it, it is a joy to drive on autobahns and things like that. Mm. It does my head in across the ditch at every waking opportunity, every possible chance, just reduce the speed limit to 80 k's an hour. Their solution is we'll fix it just by, by reducing the speed to 80 k's an hour, and it does my head head in. Mm. Have you got an opinion on cars, licensing, speed limits, driving standard, gooses in government, not making great calls uh, around anything motoring and automotive I'm referring? We would love to hear about it, especially if it's unpopular. Podcast at carsales.com.au. And now it's time for the hot topic this week. The F1 Grand Prix. This is super exciting. Melbourne comes to life in late March with race day on Sunday, April 2. And this year, the track has been tweaked. We're talking higher speeds of up to 340 kilometers an hour, which should make this race very, very interesting and maybe a little bit challenging too. And it's now considered Australia's largest motor show as well. Fian, when I was a kid growing up, motor shows were in most major cities. They're a big thing, a, an annual event. You'd love to go and see the, the latest offerings from manufacturers, things that were in development overseas. And while they're kind of not commonplace in Australia anymore, the, the Formula One Australian Grand Prix remains this amazing place, not just for fans of motor racing, but for fans of cars in general. Latest offerings, some historic things. It's really cool. The man who's been the driving force of it for a decade now, the CEO of the Australian Grand Prix Corporation, Andrew Westacott, is with us in the studio. G'day, mate. G'day, Rusty. It is a it is a motor show and it's an exciting motor show and it's a moving motor show as well. It's fantastic. I think that's the great thing to let listeners know here, that when they walk into the Albert Park precinct, you are not only going to be hit with entertainment and, you know, wonderful sound from all sorts of, of different motor racing, that's my other wheelhouse naturally, but I love the displays, Andrew, and from some of the finest car companies that are sprinkled around the venue too. It's, it's the car companies of the modern day era. You know, you've got the names of uh, 
well, Red Red Bull is a racing team in Formula One, but Mercedes and Ferrari. But then you go back, at, we're celebrating the 70th year of racing in Albert Park since 1953. So we've got Amazing. Austin Healy's taking the Formula One drivers around the circuit. And people just love going along and looking at the vintage cars, looking at the new spec cars in Formula One, youngsters, grandparents, great-grandparents, uh, mums and dads. It's a great day out and there's just so much to see. It really, really is the motor show. You did in recent weeks a a final offering, if you like, of tickets. This thing looks like being mammoth this year, a sellout. And correct me if I'm wrong, in the order of you know 450,000 people over four days or something like that. That's exactly right. You know, the 2022 attendance was 419,000. It culminated with 128,000 on on the Sunday, and we had a warm up on the Friday with about 112,000, and a, a real warm up on Thursday with 55,000. And the way it looks this year, Rusty, is that we'll be pushing 130 now. Amazing. People have asked me, could we have gone higher? We could have sold probably on the Sunday, given the demand for people to see Grand Prix racing and Formula One. We could have had 150, 160,000, but we decided to cap it sensibly to make sure that everyone's got a view that the amenities and the event fundamentals that everyone wants, a great experience and a great day out, are managed. So it's an exciting space and it's going to be a ripper. The main draw card naturally is Formula One and what have become serious rock stars in in our game. I mean, uh, you and I have been uh, at this event for for many years now, but just to fully comprehend what this game is like now, it is next level, mate, isn't it? The rock stars used to be Michael Schumacher, Valentino Rossi and MotoGP is up there. Mark Webber had a great following and Dan Ricciardo, but I tell you what, when you look at the new guys and what Formula One is – all about now in terms of showbiz and just highlighting the the characters of the drivers. It really, really is exciting and people get to see them on Melbourne Walk and they get to see them across three days of great racing. But we also have a fair few Aussies in there as well and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, the likes of them. Well, why don't we? Because obviously a change for Dan Ricciardo, not in a, a full-time capacity. I would hope that we're going to see him at, at Albert Park and fans will, will embrace that, I know. But at the same time, He's been replaced by another bright Aussie who has a huge future and is highly rated, Andrew, isn't he? He's getting used to the colour papaya. He's uh, <laughs> doing a lot of uh, sim testing and he's going to be doing a lot of track testing. I think they're going to Silverstone and Jerez in Spain and stuff like that. And Bahrain testing is only uh, a matter of days away and uh, probably when people are listening it may have even happened. But it's exciting that uh, Oscar Piastri is going to be debuting. And I think from a pressure point of view, Rusty, great that he's having the the first and second races outside Melbourne because it's going to be a fair bit of uh, excitement for, for Oscar, for his family, for all his mates coming to see him at Albert Park. In terms of the the offering on track that goes beyond Formula One, what kind of tip the scales into bringing um, the second and third tier, Andrew, Formula Two and Formula Three to Australia? The reason why this is important, Rusty, is because it adds to our event. A good example is 30 nationalities associated with F3, F2, F1, it's a lot of eyeballs looking at Melbourne. There's a lot of visitation coming to Melbourne and it's a lot of aspiration for young boys and girls who are doing karting and that's a massive, massive opportunity and there'll be a lot of posters on walls of Oscar Piastri and probably Jack Doohan, Hugh Barter, uh, Christian Mantle and um, Tommy Smith. Does the success of these categories and kind of the F1 event itself revolve around having an Aussie on the grid in your opinion? But, I mean, it certainly, it obviously helps it, doesn't it? Yeah, so in that answer specifically, I would say it doesn't revolve around, but I tell you what, it's enhanced. Mm. Um, 
You know, we, we compete for a lot of uh, newspaper and radio space when we're near the start of the AFL footy season and stuff here in Australia. And um, therefore, when you've got Aussies doing well, whether it's on two wheels like you know, Jack Miller, Casey Mick and uh, Wayne Gardner on four wheels, then gets people interested. And it's fantastic. We, we love it on a tennis court with people like Leighton and Pat Rafter. And we love it on a, a Formula One circuit. And I think uh, the crop of youngsters who are coming through are going to be there for another decade. And the fact that the event's in Melbourne till 2037, that's perfectly aligned. The chequered flag um, is about to wave on your time. So you'll, you'll see through the big event at Albert Park, 10 incredible years. Um, can we firstly, I think, reflect on the difficulty of navigating the pandemic, having to let staff go, um, things like that. Was the event in your mind ever in doubt during that that period? Yeah, well, tell you what, there's been lots and lots of highs and lots of fun and I love the love the job and I always have and always uh, will have great memories. But the lows of COVID and what we had to do in 13th of March 2020 was uh, was just one of those things that hit everyone in society. So we weren't... Uh, we weren't isolated, although we were probably at the front of the queue, particularly when it came to sports events. They were tough times, but then as a result of it, and the, you know, you talk about resilience and all those sorts of things, that really did come to the fore because we had the staff at the Grand Prix. We couldn't sit idle. Mm. The board, as anything, could have opened at any particular point in time, and we had to be ready to stage the event, and we had to go all the way up until the line until it was cancelled, and we had to do it again for MotoGP until it was cancelled and Formula One until it was cancelled. So they were six events cancelled and it was pretty draining on everyone and then this juggernaut of an event came along in April 2022 and it was just the perfect storm of everything coming together and people just having a celebration. It was so good for the staff. It was draining on all of us but now we're all better for the run and you know, 2023 is going to build on what we did in 2022. So it's exciting and it's a nice way to uh, finish the career at the Grand Prix Um at this year's event, but uh, I've got a couple of more months, obviously, after that to just to wrap things up and make sure it's ready for the new people who are going to take it, uh, you know, into the future for another 15 years, including the great team we've already got. It's great tonic, as you you rightly said, that event last year, and I will never forget the day you and and the seniors of, uh, of Formula One conducted that press conference outside the gates of the paddock area with helicopters flying overhead. That's when it became, uh, that whole pandemic period became very real for for all of us. I think just such was the enormity um, of it. Can I get, uh, it's not done yet. This could very well be the perfect bookend in some respects. Has there been a couple of personal highs for you along the way that you'd like to, to reflect on? Oh, there's been lots. And um, I think some of them just sort of that we're proud of that the team is things like immortalising Sir Jack Brabham and Alan Jones in, in bronze, and to have their bronze busts um, looking over the start finish line is a is a wonderful sort of creation of history of motorsport because seventy years of racing in Albert Park, and it, whether it's nineteen twenty seven or nineteen twenty eight, we're coming up to a hundred years of Grand Prix racing in Australia, and that's something to be celebrated in five or six years time. And then the other one is um, the youngsters, you know, getting boys and girls onto the grid as the grid kids, and now seeing some of them racing in Formula Three or cutting their teeth overseas and pursuing their dreams. That's what the future in sport's all about and it's um, why we've got a great country and motorsport is, uh, I think, sometimes um, undercooked in how how broad its appeal is um, to the community and there's not, not many people who don't love cars, going back to what you talked about from the motor show point of view. And uh, so they're special moments. I, I obviously love the staff and the teams we've worked with 
and I love also the uh, the industry and the suppliers and the way it all comes together. And it's a great place to work, and it uh, always has been, and and it will continue to be for for many decades, including the you know the current contract out till twenty thirty seven. Before we let you go, what's next for Andrew Westacott? Well, you know I'm I'm a sucker for punishment, so I'm certainly not going to be uh, driving off into the sunset or anything. I I'd love to keep active, and I'm going to be uh, staying active in in roles in this style of industry starting off life as an engineer and then now uh, working in major events since the Com Games since 2005. I think this is where where my heart lies and I think the skills probably lie. So I'm looking at a lot of things, but um, at the moment I'm looking for the next 40-odd days to make sure that the 2023 Australian Grand Prix is, a, is an absolute cracker. Good on you. It's been fabulous to, to talk with you. Um, congratulations on, on what you've done. Best of luck with the next chapter and here's cheers to a ripping race in 2023. No worries, Rusty. I'll see you in Albert Park. Just awesome to catch up with Andrew there and hear all about what's sure to be heaven for any motoring enthusiast. Now, of course, the showroom is your go-to for the latest car news and releases, but we do have other pods on cars for you to enjoy. There's What's Under the Bonnet, the electric car podcast with Nadine Armstrong and I. Our most recent episode tackles government policy and infrastructure, and we meet an EVer who is a proper car guy, but a convert. Our colleague Anthony Matafari has turned kind of hitchhiker and hails down celebs and sports stars on Along for the Ride. Grant Denyer, Matt Shervington, Katie Williams, Steve Price, and many more are in there. It's very funny, worth checking out. And the amazing human being that is Erin Molan asks the questions that we all kind of want to know, but we're too busy with our daily lives to be a guru on cars as well. It's called Everything you auto know everything you ought to know around maintenance and care for your daily drive or your pride and joy. It's all part of the awesome offering from carsales.com.au and available for free here at Listener. News time for this edition of the showroom. You like what I did there? <laughs> the new Nissan Patrol Fian's been spied. Uh, is the V8 dead? Quite possibly. The oh. V8 is slowly but surely being strangled pretty much everywhere. I think we're going to see it in some uh, some hypercars for some time to come. But uh, in, in cars like the Patrol, we're looking at potentially a 3.5-litre twin-turbo petrol V6, which will be quite different to its arch rival, the Land Cruiser 300 series, which has got a, uh, a diesel twin-turbo V6. But anyway, we've spied this car in the Middle East it looks like an updated version of the current model, possibly an all-new model, but simply put, emissions regulations are putting the squeeze on these big V8s, and it would be a pretty amazing feat if they could keep the V8 with that patrol, which is a big shame. A lot of petrol heads would be very sad about that. Now, you've led us uh, quite naturally on this subject here to something that's out of Europe, and I, I mentioned it in part in the intro to today's show, but I left a word out, and it's kind of important to the headline. So Europe is going to ban not just diesel cars, but petrol cars as well from 2035? 14 years is how long it's going to be for the car makers to essentially flip the switch to completely EV vehicles in Europe. The law was proposed last year in 2022, and uh, it's now been ratified, and it's full on because Europe is the world's second largest car market. You know, what they do affects all global car markets. And especially when you think 
there's a lot of European brands that are going to have to switch full EV or at least zero tailpipe emissions, which could be hydrogen or, I don't know, maybe some crazy cold fusion uh, propulsion system. But this is a, a big deal. It will have flow-on effects in all world markets. As I said, it's it's significant. Fire up the flux capacitor. Let's get to 88 miles an hour. Get that 1.21 <laughs> gigawatts happening. <laughs> now, Tesla has recalled 362,000 vehicles in the States. Yes, Tesla has recalled a lot of cars. And if you listen to uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk, aka EV Jesus, <laughs> it's not actually it's not actually a recall, which he's kind of right with. This revolves around almost 400,000 cars having software that doesn't meet the US safety authorities' guidelines. So basically they're saying this autonomous driving system is not up to scratch. So basically all these cars are having a software update. Is it a recall? Technically no. Technically yes. It's, it's semantics. But either way, Elon Musk is not happy about the use of that term recall. Why have I now got this picture of Elon Musk with this massive sort of halo in in the background? (laughs) Now, Mitsubishi Triton Extreme Ute has been confirmed. Part of me wonders if it's too little too late because this this Ute is going to be replaced by an all-new model either late 2023 or early 2024. So I feel like they've got a very narrow window to get this this upgraded tough truck going. But look, it'll be like the rest of them. It'll have... uh, pumped wheel arches, a fancy sports bar, probably a little lift kit, some uh, all-terrain tyres, this sort of thing. So it, it will be great to have a flagship model at the top of that range. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Will people just wait for the new model rather than buying something like this? We shall see. Sounds like the Tor family truckster to me with surfboards hanging out the back. Now, if you are wanting to know the latest news happening in the marketplace in between episodes of the showroom, the place to go is the car sales website. Find your next car at carsales.com.au. You a top-down kind of guy when you go for a drive, Sunday drive? Mate, I... Absolutely love driving the uh, the MX-5. But hey, if MX-5 isn't your thing, what about this? A Holden VL Commodore Bellina Cabrio. One of a kind. This thing is just phenomenal. It's the subject of this month's classified. So we've gone through and had a look at what's around on the car sales website. And there's always some cool things. I mean, we've done Lamborghini Countaches and all sorts over prior episodes. This thing is different. So two-door 86 Berliner in that kind of trademark ice bluey colour that you would know with some uh, some bodywork. It runs the original six-cylinder engine with matching numbers, 159,000 Ks on the clock. Uh, what are we talking here? 40 grand. So it might, it might go by the time our episode uh, ends here. And it's got some interesting history, doesn't it? It does. It does. This car was uh, developed alongside the, uh, the Holden Precision Driving Team. They would use it as a parade car to uh, gauge customer feedback, to actually commercialising this vehicle, there was a thought that, hey, if, if this gets enough love, we could actually build this vehicle and, uh, and sell it in Holden dealerships. Obviously, uh, customer feedback wasn't great and it never, uh, ne- never got there. But, uh, but that's what makes this car so cool. It's a one of a kind. 
And look, I reckon 40 grand's probably not a bad price for such an interesting and peculiar vehicle. What do you reckon, Rusty? So it's basically a litmus test. Is that what you're saying? They sort of put it out there, gauge customer feedback on it or something, and okay, wasn't necessarily loved as as much, but it is a very unique looking thing. And it's got, as I say, some some history, which is important in this, um, you know, in, in this conversation. I love the connection to the Holden Precision Driving Team as well. They sent me in um, in recent years a, a DVD on some of their history. And you've got to remember, mate, they had nearly 40 years of history. I think it was formed in the late 60s, maybe 1969 if memory serves. And they did like like 9,000 performances at all sorts of shows, at, at Ecker and Royal Easter shows. And I mean, that's millions of people that got to see them doing these amazingly synchronised things with their with their cars up on two wheels and, and so on. They were, they were awesome. And some great drivers behind the scenes that would, you know, invariably have some rallying or off-roading or circuit racing history. They were, you know, stunt guys who were who were really handy behind the wheel. That whole operation is quite tremendous and it's it's one of those things where it adds a little bit of pedigree to this car. Yes, it's been chopped around and it's got it's got different doors because the regular Commodore doors wouldn't fit on it and it's got the cloth roof, but there is something oddly alluring about this. Um, it has divided opinion on uh, on the car sales Facebook page. <laughs> Go and check it out if you've got time. But uh, look, from where I stand, this is one drop top I would be proud to cruise around in. Go and check it out. Uh, maybe you'll picture Fiantor driving down a freeway near you in this uh, 1986 Holden Commodore, the subject of our classifieds in this edition. A regular feature of the showroom podcasts is our best car awards. And the first one for 2023 has been run and won. This one's a little bit different. We've judged the best used cars for 2023, and there are quite a few winners. Firstly, uh, a plug and a thanks to our partners in Bingle. So the best used cars for 2023 is proudly presented by Bingle. And lots of data, lots of criteria, Fian, goes into this, doesn't it? Yeah, it's quite significant. Um, We have five judges on the ground. We've got our car sales managing editor, Mark Pettendy, former technical editor, Ken Grattan, Redbook Data Services Director, Ross Booth. We've got our used car expert, Cliff Chambers, and senior journalist, Bruce Newton. So they're basically looking at a whole number of different criteria to pick the best used car in 10 different categories, covering the various SUV sizes, cars, even utes. And some of the criteria include safety, retained value, and even things like market appeal, costs of running, maintenance, registration. There's a lot that goes into this. And interestingly, 50% of the score comes from the Red Book ranking, which is which is very important. But yes, we have a lot of winners. We have 10 categories and we've done the digging. So basically, you don't have to. Let's get into it. This is for cars up to seven years old, I think, as well, we should point out. So why don't we start with large passenger car category? And it's a bit of an old favourite, if you like, that's come out on top here. Indeed it is. So, yeah, we're looking at seven years old cars registered back in 2016, and the large car passenger winner is the Holden Commodore VF2 SSV Redline Sports Wagon. Who doesn't love a wagon, Rusty? 
I've got a colleague who's got one and absolutely loves it. So uh, we'll probably just put the price of those Redline sports wagons up. Okay, what about medium SUV category now? All right, the winner for the medium SUV category, best used car 2023 is the 2016 Mazda CX-5 Akira turbo diesel all-wheel drive. The CX-5 has been an evergreen vehicle for at least a decade, if not more. It has been one of the most popular SUVs in Australia, bar none, for several years. And guess what? It's actually a very, very, very good used car as well. It's won this category, I think, five years running. Pretty impressive. So, And Mazda's won small, mid and large SUVs as well. I mean, CX-3, CX-5, CX-9. What about sports car category? Let's go there. You know, I was kind of hoping to see some sort of Lamborghini or Ferrari in there, but we are looking at uh, value for money here as well. So the winner is the 2016 Toyota 86 GTS, a beautiful little rear drive, lightweight, back to basic sports car. I mean, anyone who's driven one of these cars knows how fun they are, but guess what? They're really, really affordable too. And they're a great daily driver, so you've got the whole mix, as you rightly say, lots of fun on a on a winding piece of road, that car. Let's go luxury car category now, and it looks like a Porsche has come out on top. The price tag has gone up a little now from the uh, Toyota 86 to the 2016 Porsche Panamera Turbo S. This is a big rig, but it's highly desirable. And look, not everyone's going to like the look of it, but... Uh, Mate, they are fun to drive, and it scored surprisingly well in our Best Used Car uh, Awards this year. Here's the quote from Martin Pettenty, rear doors and, um, you know, the prodigious V8 make it the closest that you will get to a 911 sedan. I love that. Dual cab ute category. This one's an important one because we are sort of obsessed with them in Australia, aren't we? Yeah, something like uh, 20% of all car sales annually go to utes alone. Not a huge surprise here, 2016 Ford Ranger Wild Track 3.2 litre 4x4 dual cab utility. This Ford Ranger has won not only, uh, you know, best used car ute category, but it's won best ute for something like four years in a row for us. This is a uh, the benchmark ute. And again, in the secondhand market, it's uh, it's an absolute ripper. I think our buddy Bruce Newton said the best dual cab to drive and kind of a gruff old 3.2 litre is a really solid engine. So well done. Off-road 4x4 category goes Toyota's way. Yeah, no great surprise here. The Land Cruiser Prado Kakadu. That's the top of the range Prado, which even in new cars is still the top selling large SUV in Australia at the moment. It's, um, it's, it's quite a phenomenal vehicle. And for good reason. It, it did very, very well across all our criteria, um, chiefly retained value and, and market appeal. So that is the large SUV in the uh, off-road category winner right there. And now uh, well done, Toyota. There you go. A snapshot of our best used cars for 2023, all proudly presented by Bingle. You can read more about it, of course, at carsales.com.au. Find your next car at carsales.com.au. That's it for this episode. We would love you to rate and review the podcast. Tell your mates about it too. And if you've got a question, maybe there's a new model coming or you're passionate about a a particular mark and you want to know more about something, send us an email or even a little voice memo. We'd love to tackle it for you. Podcast at carsales.com.au. On behalf of 
Fizzy T, our producer Tommy T, and I'm Russ T. We will catch you next time here on the showroom. Bye for now. Listener Production.